The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Happy Mother's Day, moms. You're welcome. I I always call this uh, National Leverage Sunday because this is the Sunday that moms can always get their kids. They could be the most stringent, is that the word? Hardcore, whatever word I'm looking for, atheist in the world, but they would come to church on Mother's Day with their mom because we cannot resist that guilt trip. All I want for Mother's Day is my whole family together in church. Is that too much to ask after all the childbirth pains and 18 years and nine months I carried you in my suit? Yes, I'll go. That's what we do, right? Right? Hey, uh, let, let's do some. First of all, I, I'm going to do this, and we, we've always tried to be really sensitive to this um, here at Heritage, and maybe, maybe part of that is because of my own experiences. My wife and I um, did not think we were going to be able to have children, and, and for seven and a half years, we were unable to. There was a medical reason for that, but God had other plans, which has always been a great story to share with people in those kind of difficult situations. But I can remember going to church during that time when my wife's deepest desire was to want to have kids. Um, and different churches all, I mean, obviously just seeking to honor moms and do good and gracious things would do things like, you know, give flowers out to the moms as they came in. And I can remember the question over and over, oh, are you a mother? And my wife would have to say no, and the flower would go to the next person. And so, um, so first of all, I just want to say that um, if you're here and you, you're in that situation that we were, um, or you've lost children, maybe, or lost mothers this year. I, I know today is a real, um, can be a really challenging, difficult day for you. Um, it can be very hard, actually. And, and I just want to remind you that the Bible tells us over and over, it uses the phrase fathers, but the Bible says that God is a parent to the parentless, you might say. Um, so if you've lost parents or if you're in that situation, know that. But also that, that means that God has this way of just standing in the gap for us and giving us all we need, um, even in the most difficult situations. And so please know that we love you and we pray for you. Um, but, we, but we do want to be able to honor moms because moms are probably the most significant and most uh, incredible gospel example that there can be. I mean, in many times in our culture, moms put their careers aside, they put their personal needs aside, they put their bodies aside in all these different ways in order to bring life to someone else, which is just such a great gospel testimony. I mean, how many moms of babies eat cold meals because the kid always wants to eat right when the food comes, doesn't it? You know, those sorts of things. And we have seen through the years that moms have this incredible gospel example of laying their life down for someone else. And so if you are a mom here in this room, would you do us a favor and just stand so that we can honor you really quickly? We'd love to be able to do that. Thank you guys so much. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Thank you guys. So no, 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 no. Stay up, stay up, stay up. Stay up. Father, we just thank you so much for these women that are standing here. Lord, I just, I, we're just so blessed that you gave us even the gift of moms. Lord, what, what a blessing it is. We even see, Lord, from, from your own life, Jesus, that, that you had such close relationship with your, other, with your mother. You, you cared for her to the very end, even from the cross. And Lord, we're just so thankful for these women, Lord. I, I thank you, Lord, for their sacrifices. And I just pray, God, today would be a day that they can just feel fulfilled and blessed because of what they've done. 
Um, Lord, there may be women standing right now that have all sorts of regrets regarding um, the way that they've raised children or, or time spent. There, there can be all sorts of things the enemy would love to come in and ruin an opportunity of blessing. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just show yourself strong for them, that you would bless, comfort, empower, enrich, and strengthen them. So we just thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. You guys can have a seat if you would. A couple of announcements. Uh, Mexico Mission Blessings. The fifth, flip side of 50 group is going to be going down to Mexico to the orphanage that we support down there in Carmen Serdan. Don't worry, it's not scary like Juarez kind of Mexico. It's like Baja people go on vacation kind of Mexico, just so you know. Um, though this place truly is in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, but an incredible, incredible place if you've never been to the mission in Carmen Serdan. So that trip's coming up May 20th through the 27th. Wow, you guys are going soon. Is Bob in here right now? No? The trip's May 20th. Is this right? Am I reading this right? Awesome. I didn't know that was coming up real soon. I want to send some stuff down. Anyway, um, check your bulletins if you would. There are some wish list items of some things that we might need. If you're unable to go on the trip, but you want to support what they're doing for the orphans down there, take a look at that. There's some information there for you. Also, summer midweek services, um, our Wednesday night services, just like last year, there won't be any midweek services here at Heritage in June, July, and August. Um, the Awana program that we run with the kids is only a school year program. They don't put things out for the summertime. And so much work goes into the Awana program um, that to ask our volunteers and our, our staff to throw something together then for the summer, they really need the summer to rebuild, restaff, revamp, and get ready for the next year in that. Um, it becomes a pretty busy summer even without them. So, so we don't have our midweek services through there, but we do three services the first week. Wednesday of each month, we have these first Wednesday celebrations, which we started doing last year. They were a huge, huge success. We have food trucks come in. We have um, worship going on over there. There's games for the family. It ends up just being a great, fun, fun night. You're not going to want to miss out on that. Um, so the first one of those is coming up here on June 7th. Um, we've got Curbside King. Anybody ever eaten at Curbside King before? Man, they got some killer chicken stuff. So they're going to be coming up to do food, and we're going to do worship, and it's just going to be an incredible time. So mark your calendars, if you will, on that. And then also today, right after service, there's a pastor's coffee in the coffee shop right over here. If you're new or new-ish here to Heritage, um, an opportunity for us as the staff to meet you, maybe be able to answer some questions and just tell you a, a little bit, and literally it's like 10 minutes, just a little bit about our church um, and try to help people uh, graft in and all those sorts of things. So that's right after service today. One last thing, I only have one of these today. I thought I had more and actually this one might even be my personal copy. So if anybody gets one with highlights in it, you'll know what I'm struggling with. But this is a book on parenting by Paul Tripp. This is not a, hey, here's how you parent book. It's not a top 10, here are the things you need to do. It's a big picture, like here is the goal and the heart behind and how God is our father. And it's a really encouraging book. So I'm gonna lay this up here. This is free. We have rules. If you get it, you have to... Read it, and after you read it, you must pass it along. Don't let it collect dust. That would be awesome. So the rest of you, if you would grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3, and please join me on your feet in honor of God's Word. If you're visiting with us here today, um, we, d we do this because in the early church, there were only so many copies of the Scriptures that were out there. 
presses the way there are now. And, and so for someone to have the actual copies of Scripture to be able to read, um, usually maybe one per church, maybe. And so whenever they would gather together and read the Word, it was considered such an honor that they would all stand to their feet as the pastor read the Word. And when he finished, he would declare, this is the Word of the Lord. And the congregation in response would then say... Thanks be to God. And it wasn't vain formality or old school religion. It was just a genuine heart of like, man, we have the privilege of hearing the actual word of God. And that's what this book here is. So we're going to read um, this whole paragraph, though I'm only teaching on two verses. And moms, guess what? I, I shouldn't guarantee it means I'm going to go short because I have some stories to tell. And, and ask my wife, I can go on and on. But normally my notes are like nine pages. Today they're four Amen? Four? So we're only teaching two verses, but I want to read the entire paragraph of what we've been looking at the last few weeks. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18, and it says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to read your word this morning. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to come together with your church. But Lord, if there was ever a Sunday that I am grossly unqualified to be able to speak on a subject, it is today. And so, Lord, everyone in this room, they don't, they don't need to hear Jeff's wisdom or any other human on earth, what we need to hear from is you, Lord. So may your spirit just fill this place. Would you be our teacher? Would you speak to us, Lord, encourage us, and comfort us, correct whatever is necessary. But God, may we have your wisdom this morning. And, and I pray, God, our approach to your scriptures this morning would be, even as we stand here, heads bowed in prayer, that we would be bowed before the words of our God and King, not lording over the scriptures to make them say what we want, but in awe and respect of the words of our God and King. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, my rock, my King, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Hey, you want to mute me really quick? I got a loose connection here. I'm going to fix There we go. That would frustrate me the whole service and burst your eardrums. Um, here at Heritage Christian Fellowship, just so you know, we're going to be, this, the so topic here today is the relationship. It's not just parenting, it's relationship between child and parent. This section is, is, if you remember, dealing with the idea that the understanding that God is king, that he is our savior, and the knowledge of the gospel 
affects every area of our relationship. Not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other and everyone that we come into contact to. So this passage, Paul is kind of going through. You may have noticed as we read through them all together, it's very list-oriented. Hey, children, this. Parents, this. Husbands, this. Wives, this. It goes through all of these things. Now we jumped out of order a little bit. Last week I talked about the idea that the bond servant, slave, worker, co-worker, the, that sort of relationship. Last week, because that just seemed a little more fitting for then, not so much of a Mother's Day type thing. Um, but today, since it, it does just happen to be Mother's Day, this wasn't planned this way. This is just kind of where we've ended up. So we decided to take the text today in dealing with the relationships between children and parents. So that's the idea of where we are in this. Now, what it's not going to be, much like this Paul Tripp book that I just commended to you, it's not a, a I'm not giving you a here's how you parent sermon. And you're probably not going to hear anything that, that I'm going to say the entire time. You're going to walk out of here going, ah, he reminded me of some things, but he didn't tell me anything that I didn't know. That's because I'm still in process big time right now. We'll get to more of that here in just a, a little while. Um, but that's not the goal of this text. And, and honestly, it shouldn't be because if you ever look at it, the Bible has surprisingly little to say about parenting. And there's a reason for that. Because if we just had a list of what we're supposed to do, we would just work right off of that list. And we'd probably end up leaving Jesus completely out of it in the whole time. That's not the point of parenting in the first place. So the goal here is not about, at least in this particular text, a walkthrough verse by verse, here's how you parent. And that's encouraging. The other thing is not, not all of you have children now. Not all of you have children anymore. Some of you are empty nesters. The text still is hugely applicable to you because number one, I, one day you may be in that situation. Number two, I hope that if you're already an empty nester and your ch children are out, the goal is that God would use you and the wisdom that you have to kind of come in and nurture and teach and instruct, come alongside people who, like myself, who are still in process in this. So, so I'm praying that it'll be a blessing for all of you in this. But the text here actually starts out with... The kids, which is a little weird to preach on because I'm looking around and first of all, it's 8.30 service. All the kids come to the next service. You should see the numbers in the kids wing next service. It's crazy. And they're not really in here. A couple of teenagers, a couple of college kids. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but we're not going to be unfaithful to the text and skip it. But one thing that is worth pointing out, the Bible never addresses relationship between parent and child until it first addresses relationship between husband and wife. Never happens in the scriptures anywhere. It's as if the, the breeding ground, if you will, for healthy relationship between parent and child is in making sure that mom and dad are actually fulfilling their God-designed roles um, and, and working with one another under the covering and shepherding of God in those ways too. That's the primary thing that a child needs to do well is godly parents seeking to honor God in what they're doing. But it's, some, it's really kind of funny. I mean, Paul comes in here and he's writing this letter to Christians and he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae and he gets to this topic of parents and, and he just writes this. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So, so children, the two of you that are in here, <laughs> you have to obey your parents in everything. I know that sounds revolutionary, some high depth, deep down interpretation of the scripture, but here's what this really means in the Greek. It means you have to listen to everything. Everything. There's no caveats. You ever thought about that? There's not one caveat given. And you're like, but what if they're crazy? 
everything. I would say, especially if they're crazy, because you made them crazy. In the first, like, it's, it's your fault that they're like that. And you really should look at your parents around this room, because I know right now that we're lame and we're not cool. And like, as soon as we get on Facebook, you get off because we ruin everything. And I, I know all that. But we used to be, parents, didn't we? We used to be cool. We did. We used to have it together. We used to dress snazzy. The clothes we wear used to be in fashion. Like we, we used to have it together. And we, we didn't look like train wrecks most of the time. And we didn't say things that didn't make any sense. Like we, we had it together. And then we had kids and we're just tired. We're just exhausted a little bit. That's really all that is. We love you. I don't mean to be demeaning to you in any way, except that maybe I do just a little bit. But... <laughs> But it's interesting, though, he says, children, obey your parents in everything, in everything. Why? The why is not based on the fact that your parents know everything. Because that's clearly not the case in my household. And I don't think even any of our kids are going to be, are fooled to think that it's the case even in their own household. Like, we know that we are not complete, unending sources of everything. But the, the reason behind it is not, hey, kids, listen to your mom and dad, because even though you don't agree with me, trust me, they know everything. That's not it at all. The goal is, hey, listen to your parents and obey and honor your parents in everything because it honors God. And, and this is in the flow of everything that's been covered in this particular section of Scripture. In each section, the person who is given or, or a authority is recognized for that person, it always comes back to the person who is submitted to them, and they're told, hey, you're doing this not because of that other person or because of your weakness. You're doing this because this is what honors God. And so in the relationship, the way God has ordered roles in marriage with regards to women and submitting in that, and please go back and listen to that text on that. It does not mean slavery or women have no will. Far from that. But in that whole text about how women are to relate to men and how the, the husbands are relate to the wives and serving, and you might even say submitting to their needs before your own in the same way, the, the reasoning behind all of that is not because you'll get along better it's not because this is the way, the whole purpose every step of the way is, is because this honors God. In every case, the person with authority is reminded that they are under shepherds of the true shepherd. And then in every case, the person who is under authority is reminded that the person that they're submitting to, they're not doing it based on the qualifications of the one over them, if you will, if I can use that phrase. You're doing it based on the fact that you're honoring the one that's behind them. Maybe we can say it that way. We're doing this out of honor to God. So it doesn't mean that kids have to agree with everything that their parents say. They can completely disagree all they want. They can. They can even respectfully voice that. But you're required to honor your parents in everything we're required to honor our parents. Now that's the theological reason for that. Um, there's practical reasons for children obey your parents and everything. And the reasoning for that is, and again, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but uh, kids are dumb. Like <laughs> kids are born kind of dumb. Like they don't know a whole lot of things, especially coming right out of the womb. We know this, like you could take little kids and put them in a room and you can give them Legos and stuffed animals and leave a steak knife on the ground. Which one are they going to put in their mouth first? 
They're going for the steak knife every single time. That's just there. And so there's even practical reasons behind parenting that, that you need to come in and actually instruct kids. And here's the most humbling thing. And my mom's going to hear this online and she's going to call me and she's going to do the mushy. Oh, thank you so much. Thing. So, okay, mom, just don't call. I know it's fine. But every year that I parent, I start realizing more and more that my mom knew more that she knew what she was doing a whole lot more than I gave her credit for. She just did. And even in the things that maybe she didn't know what she was doing or did do wrong that I might be able to recognize now and everyone has them, I I understand her heart behind the things that she did and I understand the situations around it. And more and more I'm learning about her upbringing and I'm learning what she had to come out excuse me, come out of and how, how she navigated all those sorts of situations. And so it's just, it's good to honor our parents because God does use them to grow us as children. Amen? It's good. So we don't need to set a ton of time on the parenting, on the children thing. But here's something worth noting before we move into the next text is that in each one of the situations, that we're going through. So husband, wife, um, master, slave, as we talked about in the culture at the time there, we, we translated that, you might say, into use for us with regards to boss and worker. Um, and then here in child parent, in each one of the situations, the relationships here, even though there might be a heavier authority placed on one person in the relationship, the relationships are always mutually obligatory. There are responsibilities on each end of it that they have not just towards God, but towards one another. And in Roman culture, this was a huge, huge deal. Uh, Much as we've talked about how Christianity has stood up for the oppressed throughout history, we talked about this a lot last week with regards to the slave issue and all that here in scripture. Um, And we've talked about it with regards to women. Children probably had it worse of all in Roman culture. So kids, those of you that feel like, man, I have to do everything that mom and dad says until I get out of the house, or maybe even a few years later, if they're still paying the college bill or whatever it is, you have it made compared to kids that were in this culture. You got out from under dad's authority when dad died. Until the day dad died, he was the ultimate authority in your life. And there was even a Roman phrase, I forget the actual Greek words, but, but it translates into father's power. And they were told that it was a saying that children are raised, or the household actually as a whole, came up under the father's power. And fathers had almost godlike authority over their children. Fathers could punish their children any way they wanted. Fathers could use their children any way they want. They could sell children into slavery legally. They could make them go do work. There's even stories. Fathers could legally chain their children to the actual work task that we're doing. So kids that complain about having to mow the grass for dad, um, dad in Roman culture could chain you to the lawnmower and leave you there legally. Um, fathers could punish any way that they wanted, including the death penalty, legally, for their children. The death penalty. And even when children were first born, they would take the baby and they would lay it at the feet of the father, the patriarch of the household, and the reaction of the father determined the fate of the future of that baby. If the father picked the baby up, the baby had been accepted and would be part of the family. If the father turned away from the baby, the baby was thrown out of the household, become a slave or whatever the case may be, maybe worse. That's the culture there. 
That's the culture to which the Bible speaks into in this. A child in Greco-Roman culture, this is a quote from a historian, was an intrusion and a misfortune for most in the sexually permissive age of the Roman culture. Children were intrusive and misfortunes. We didn't want them and they just get in the way which is super familiar to much of the rhetoric that we hear in our day and age. The difference is instead of children maybe being disregarded and thrown off into slavery, we have a way of when children are born and their misfortunes that get in the way of our stuff, we have a way in our culture of getting rid of them in a much more sinister fashion, unfortunately. But this is the culture to which God speaks and suddenly is talking to the parent about their obligations to the child. That would be unheard of in that culture. Fathers didn't have obligations, they had power over, not obligations to. But that is not what the scriptures say. Children, you must obey and honor your parents. You must obey and honor your parents. It's bottom line. But parents, verse 21, fathers do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. There's two really just, it's kind of funny when you think about it. First of all, Here's Paul writing to the Colossian people and he's talking about how gospel affects life and he gets to the subject of parenting and he's like, all right, Colossian people, you ready? You guys taking notes? You ready for the stuff on parenting? Here it comes. Don't make them mad. I'm out. That's it. That's all he gives them. Don't make them mad. That's it. I mean, it's stunning if you really think about it how little the Bible actually has to say about how, like the practicalities of how to parent. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot. But it's also stunning to think of that into a culture where these parents with the authority that they had, the fathers with the power that they had over the children, would say to the fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. And everything in the culture at that time would have been the exact opposite, wouldn't it? It would be, whatever you do, don't upset your father. Stay out of his way, do whatever he says, don't upset your father. But then Paul comes in and says to the fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Now, let me clarify something. Um, some of you might think, and, and I, did, I chewed on this a little bit, I thought about this. How, how are you going to preach at Moms on Mother's Day? Really? Are you going to preach a Mother's Day sermon to moms on Mother's Day that tells them, makes, you're going to send them all home with all the things about what they did wrong? And all, is that what you're really going to do? Well, he, so here's my disclaimer for you. He ain't talking to moms. Now, I know some of you have King James Version, and I, some of you have the NIV Version, and it translates that as parents, right? And what you should do is take a pen and scratch that out so you can't read it anymore, and you really should write fathers. And, and here, here's why. The reason that they do that is the word that's used there is called pateras. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in Hebrews chapter 11 when they're referencing Moses's parents, plural, in that particular case. And it's clear that he's talking about parents, uh, plural, in that particular text. And so people go, well, that's how they used it there. That's how we use it here. Except for the fact that Paul just used a completely different word. Um, just here in verse 20, when he says, children obey your parents, he uses a completely different Greek word for the plural, you might say team, if you will, of parents there. He uses the word gonesis. But in this particular case, he switches it, and it's a masculine emphasis word. He's speaking to fathers. And, and here, here's why he's doing this. 
in each of the different cases, he's addressing the one who is ultimately responsible, who maybe yields the more authority and has the most responsibility in any of the different relationships. And again, dads, you're like, it's Mother's Day, get off me. Listen, dads, it's us. It's us. The Bible is unapologetically putting the emphasis and responsibility of the raising, educating, teaching, the rearing of our children on the father, not the mother. And that's absolutely unarguable. And you go through scripture and you see it. We talked about the authority issue with Adam and Eve. Eve is the first one who eats of the fruit in the garden that they weren't supposed to eat. Adam's second. But when God comes, who does he call? Somebody knows. Who does he call? Adam. 8.30 service. Sorry, I forgot. I got to give you more warning before I have a question. Um, he, he comes in and he says, Adam, where are you? And even in the New Testament, when Paul writes about it, he says that sin entered the world through Adam, not Eve. It's not that she wasn't part of it. It's that the ultimate responsibility was on Adam. And so he was the one that God called out on it. And you see this happen throughout scripture. Um, you, you see this, there's a story of this, this man named Eli, this priest, and his sons were just absolute train wrecks. And God ends up judging the family on that. And when he's dealing with that, at no point does God come and call out Mrs. Eli. He calls out Eli. The ultimate responsibility on parenting, or on, on parenting and on the well-being of God's children that we have been entrusted with always lies upon the mantle of the father. And so dad's be like, all right, I'm going to have to keep my thumb on my wife a little bit more, make sure she's doing her job. That's not what it means. It means we're part of it. It means we're involved. And, and in the way that the, the father dominated everyone at that point in time, um, that's not the way God has designed Christian households to operate. Fathers are to be involved. Fathers are to parent. This is what it is called to. It's not that it's mom's work. Now, any word given to fathers is also given to mothers, and especially um, single moms who might happen to be in this room. I mean, you have the hardest job of everyone because um, just unfortunately, you're having to carry two different mantles in the relationship that you're at. So, so my prayer is that some of these things will be beneficial to you to be able to chew on and think on and, and, and pray through, but um, may God give you grace, may God give you strength, and may God give you people of wisdom to come around you and assist you in some of these things through Christian community. But the text here does say, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. J.B. Phillips, his translation for it says, fathers, do not overcorrect your children or they will grow up feeling inferior and frustrated. Um, I don't know if any of you grew up in kind of overbearing um, homes or homes where your relationship with your dad, when you think back on it, is kind of characterized by constant do's and don'ts and really kind of the exact thing we're talking about. Like I will, my relationship with my dad goes well when I don't upset him, when I stay out of the way, when I do what he, do, what he wants me to do and, and I'm better just staying out of the way. That was my upbringing for sure. And the way parenting can tend to go is one of two directions on kind of the big giant pendulum, if you will. You can either have no rails 
So children grow up, no rules, no responsibilities, no nothing. And then they're, as they grow up, they're completely unprepared for life because they're totally undisciplined and don't know how to relate to real world when they're dealing with stuff. Everything's unfair, entitlement, all of that. Or swing totally the other way and you can be completely overbearing with rules, rules, rules. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you can absolutely, and this is how I grew up in many ways, crush the spirit of your child. Crush them. And God, standing up for children who are barely above slaves in the culture at this time, comes into the fathers, but it's a word for parents, moms as well to remember, and says, don't do this to your kid. Don't use your authority, your position, your voice, all of those things to crush the spirit of your child. Martin Luther said this, spare the rod and spoil the trial, or spoil the child, that is true, but beside the rod, always keep an apple ready to give him when he has done well. And I just, one of the things me and Bronwyn try to remind ourselves all the time, and, and not great at, but trying to get better at, um, is to say yes more than no. And, and to constantly just be encouraging, like just the other day, my son was outside in the backyard and he just goes out to play for a few minutes and it's a nice sunny day, and, but I look outside and of course he's got the hose because you're going to grab something like that. And, and my initial reaction, and I went out there, I was like, Bentley, that water costs money. Please don't use the hose. And I shut the door and I went in and sat down. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm my dad. Of course he's grabbing the hose. He's a little boy, right? I mean, of course he's grabbing the hose. He's got to make mud somehow. And so I had to catch myself and go, I don't want to crush the kid's joy. Sometimes I want to crush his skull a little bit, but right, I don't want to crush his joy. And so I had to go back up and I was like, you can play with the hose. But water is expensive in Central Point. I did put a time limit on it. You have five minutes, but make that mud quick, dude. But go ahead, play it. But for, I, I, at least for my upbringing, and I've talked to many that the stories are really similar. The relationship between father for sure, but it can be father and mother, was really characterized predominantly by one of control. Just keep the kids in control. Make sure they behave a certain way when they're out in public. Make sure they, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I, that's how we'll characterize our relationship here. Um, Benjamin West Benjamin West was a famous painter. Most of us never heard of him, but we've seen his work. Because early on in, in American history, he did some of the iconic presidential paintings. He painted George Washington, painted Benjamin Franklin. All these, when you Google George Washington or you go to Wikipedia, the picture that comes up was probably painted by Benjamin West. And when he was a little kid, um, he tells a story how his mom left him at home all by himself um, and told him to watch their little sister, his little sister Sally, and she was going to be gone just for a little while, and she was going to come back. And this was in England before, and, and so uh, mom comes back, and he had found some paint supplies in the house as a little kid, and he decided he was going to paint a portrait of his sister Sally, which he did, um, and he painted not just the painting, but the couch and the floor, and the sister, and paint all over him, and he had just made a complete and total mess of everything. And when his mom came, you know how like when you're young, you're not really aware of it until right before mom and dad are going to come home, and then you see what you're in, and you, you start putting it together, and you're like, oh no. And mom comes home, and he says he was terrified, and he's standing there completely quiet, the painting sitting there on the floor next to him, and he knew like he's just in huge trouble. And he told the story, it's in his writings, that, that his mom bent down, picked up the picture, looked at it, and went, it's Sally. 
and she leaned down and gave him a kiss. And he said, decades later in life, he said, my mother's kiss made me a painter. It was my mom's kiss. That moment right there, she encouraged me. And from that day on, he goes on to become one of the most famous portrait painters in the history of the world. And I just wonder all the time, I I ask myself this, do my kids know that I just delight in them? That, That their whole responsibility in the household is not just to stay out of my way and not make a mess, but that I like them? that I love them, that I want them to actually enjoy life, that I want them when they look back to have memories of laughter, not of cowering. Because in this, this whole section is really a section about authority. Paul has earlier in Corinthians upheld the authority of God as king of all. And now he's speaking to those who are in authority under God. And he says to the parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't overteach your children. Don't pound on them all the time that that's not the responsibility there and you know i think it's kind of funny um the authority that we have it's it's really more of a teaching authority it's it's more of a teaching authority honestly because (coughs) excuse me ephesians 6 4 brings this up with a little bit more detail barely in ephesians 6 4 paul says fathers do not provoke your children to anger but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord don't provoke your children to anger but or instead bring them up in the instruction of the lord and so this idea in every step of the way so think of the relationship between husbands and wives it tells the husbands who the bible does unapologetically give a certain level of authority that he doesn't give to to the wives but then he tells the wi- the husbands how to use it he says, under my authority to the parent, to the, or excuse me, to the husband, you are to die to yourself for the sake of your wife, just as Christ died to the church. So the way the husband wields his authority in the relationship is supposed to teach about God. And so if we as fathers have ultimate responsibility and authority over our children, the way that we wield that authority is designed to teach them about God. And when you look through the scriptures over and over, when God declares himself to his kids, whether it be the nation of Israel or whatever, when he declares himself to the kids over and over and over, yes, he says he's a God of justice. Yes, he says iniquity will not stand. I know all those things, but he always starts by saying that he's gracious and merciful and loves them. God clearly wants to be known by his love before anything else. And then he says to Christians in the book of John, or in the epistle of John, he says that they will know that you are Christians by your what? Love. And I I don't know, like when I look back on my own childhood and my own relationship with my dad, which I don't have anymore. Some of you guys know this story. It's It's not a great one. I haven't talked to my dad in, gosh, we're getting close to 20 years now. Um, not, not because I'm not trying, but because he doesn't answer the phone. And um, my relationship with my dad when I grew up was one of, uh, like, I remember him being frustrated. Like, I, don't, I don't characterize my relationship with my dad by one of love whatsoever. And it's interesting, John Newton, many of you guys know who John Newton is. He wrote the, uh, um, somebody help me. Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. He, he had a quote. He said this, I, I know that my dad loved me. I just don't think he was very intent on letting me see it. And that's men, parents, fathers. Do your children know that you delight in them? 
because God delights in you. He does. He delights in you. And some of us have a hard time believing that because of the relationship that we had with our own fathers growing up. But we have opportunity also to stop the cycle right now. Even empty nesters in the room, you can hug your kid today. But God wants to be known by his love. He wields all ultimate authority in all the world and set it aside willingly for the love of his children to lay his life down for them that they might do well because he delights in us. And that's what he wants out of us as parents. It's not all about control. It's not all about just keep all the glass from getting broken until bedtime and then we can relax a little. Like it's not those things. And trust me, I am preaching to me more than anyone else in this room. Kids have to obey, and we are to teach them to obey. But we're not to be overbearing either. We're to find that delicate balance between the two of them that God is always calling us to. And so our authority that we're given, according to Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we are to discipline. We are to instruct them about the Lord. Um, So what is it that we teach them? I mean, you, you have to teach initial obedience, which is like, you know, stop when I say stop. Um, you know, don't put the steak knife in your mouth. Those kinds of things that we don't want kids to do for their own sake. Ephesians goes on to say that your days, the children are to obey their parents. Why? That their days may be long upon the land. And now dads love to grab that as a threat. You know what I mean? Like, kids, you better obey me or your days will not be long on this land. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, But there's also just a practical reality to the fact that, like, if our kids didn't have parents teaching them initial obedience like that, their days would not be long upon the land. Cars, something would get them, right? And And so there is that part that we just have to teach them about, you know, consequences of life. Hot means hot. All those kinds of things. There's social obedience, we should teach them social manners. You got to teach your boy that there's things you should just do and don't do and things, some things have consequences. My, my son, raising boys is so dramatically different. And I've always known that, but now like I really am learning that. Um, and some days you just want to do the Homer Simpson thing and just strangle him. And some days you're like, oh, it's my boy, you know? And, and so I, he was in the playground at school and he's a kindergartner, right? Like they get out early, that kindergartner. And he, if you've seen him, and I got to talk about him now because as he gets a little older, he's going to start cluing into some of these things. So don't tell him and I'll stop talking about him in a year or so. But, but he, um, he, he's in the playground and some kid that was like a third grader or something, way bigger than him, called him stupid. And he got in trouble. And I'm like, why'd you get in trouble? And he's like, because I put him on the ground. And I'm like, Bronwyn's like, you can't do that. And I'm in the background going. (laughs) So what happened next? He pounded me. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about how to operate in culture and how to deal with manners and how not to pick your nose at the table in a restaurant and, you know, those sorts of things. There's, there's civil manner, if you will, and then there are uh, social uh, obedience and then there's civic obedience. So just be a responsible citizen. Teach your children the laws of the land and, and what it means to operate in a culture and in a community. And, but here's the thing about it. In Paul's text here, he's talking about the fact that having Jesus as king 
filters down to, it permeates every other relationship that we're a part of. And so if you're saying, I do teach my kids, man, I provide for my kids, I give them food, I do the initial thing, I make them obey, I teach them all these different kinds of things. But what out of any of that list would a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or someone else teach any different? They would do the exact same things. That doesn't make you a Christian parent. It makes you a Christian maybe who is a parenting, but it does not set up your parenting as distinctly Christian. And so the, the primary thing, and Elise Fitzpatrick wrote a book that we've given away here before. It's called Give Them Grace. And, and her whole motive behind writing that book is her daughter in high school, um, at a Christian high school that she attended, won, um, you know how they have the superlatives or whatever you call those things at the end of the year, Mr. This, uh, most likely to succeed, most likely to start the next war, whatever the things might be. Her daughter won the Miss Christian Character Award. And she talks about how she was so proud of that and how it validated her own feelings. Like, I bet all the other parents here at the graduation ceremony are looking at me like, dang, she did good. Like, it, she was kind of living through the way dads do at Little League games with their boys. She was doing that. So imagine her surprise when her daughter got saved two years later in college. And people, you, there, there's more to be taught than initial obedience and social obedience and civic obedience. So people will respond to that and they'll go, oh, that's right. We have to teach them about religion. But religious obedience still doesn't lead them to where they need to go. The primary responsibility of parents, the win, the thing we should get most excited about. Third John verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's the whole goal. That's all we're supposed to do. I mean, yeah, we, te- we feed them and yeah, we have all those things and yeah, there's civil obedience and there's social obedience and all, all those kinds of things. But the win is not the softball trophy. The win is not uh, junior honor society. The win is not grades. The win is not college scholarships. The win is none of those things. The win is when we take the hand of our child and we take our hand and we connect the two of them to the hand of Jesus and then we're able to step out of the way and watch our kids just walk with Jesus. That's what parents are called to do primarily. You won't be held responsible by God to too much else, but you will be held responsible by God to that, that that's our goal. Paul Tripp in the book right here, and the reason that he wrote this book, I told you it's not a a detailed, here's step one, two, three of parenting. He's written lots of books about parenting, and he said he started noticing that there's so many people that were using his books in the wrong way. He would have all these people come up to him, and, and it was as if all these were different formulas that were in place on how to parent. And he started looking at everything, and he was like, man, the one thing I really didn't mean to do, I did. I gave people a means by which they can just control behavior in their children. And the whole point was different, and he said this with regards to the book that, He said, we aren't just dealing with bad behavior. We're dealing with a condition that causes bad behavior. And Jesus is the cure for that condition, the only cure. The whole goal is not to control 
behavior on the outside. I mean, the average person, if this was the church I grew up in and I was a teenager in that church, all of you would have looked at me as, oh, look at, man, he's a good kid. Look at that good Christian kid. He's always here. All of you would have looked at me like that. You would have looked at my parents and been like, man, they must be doing really well with him. Things are going well. He's making straight A's. He's always at church, memorizes Bible verse, goes on mission trips. He's doing all this different kind of stuff. And you wouldn't have had a clue of all the other things that were going on on the inside and how sneaky and devious and sinful I was the entire time but my outside behavior was good I could have got Mr. Christian character award well I wasn't that good but I mean I might have got a vote but the idea is that our kids need Jesus more than they need our rules more than they need our authority and our responsibility is to lead our children into the hands of Jesus and and here's the the thing for us to do that, the, the biblical model that gets used, we talked about it some last week, um, met with the shepherding elders last week, and we went through a lot with regards to this topic. The, the model that gets used in the Bible over and over and over is one of shepherd. And shepherds lead sheep. In other words, they're in front of sheep. Sheep follow them. When, you, when we go to Uganda, you'll see farmers that have these cattle with these giant horns. They're really cool animals, but when they're driving them to a different place, you don't say you're leading them, you say you're driving them. And they're behind them and they have a stick and they're whacking them along the way, controlling the animal to get them into the pasture that they want. Shepherds can't do that. Sheep won't respond in the same way. The shepherd walks out in front. And here's the thing, parents, like our job is to lead them to Jesus, which means just by definition, we have to get there first. And let's just be honest. Is there anything in life more humbling that teaches us more and more of how bad we need Jesus than parenting? Because here's the truth. I'll be a little honest with you at the moment. Um, if I had given this sermon a year ago, I would have been so confident in this. I would have been so, I, man, let me tell you, I can raise girls. I got, I got the two most easy little girls on the planet. The most easiest, now I, who knows what the teenage years are gonna bring, but incredible, like we would go to restaurants and people would literally come up and compliment us on their way out out of the restaurant that we don't even know. Like, your children are so well-behaved. Or even on airplanes. Like, that just never happens on airplanes. You guys know that, right? If you're on an airplane and you see a kid coming, you're just like, oh, man, please don't sit near me. Please don't sit near me. Like, that's what everybody does. And people are complimenting us about our children and all these kinds of things. We were crushing it. I, I know how to do all that. And so if it was a year ago, I would have been like, man, I, let me tell you about parenting. Y'all want some wisdom? I got some stuff. Well, we adopted a little boy in May last year. He's six now. I'll just be honest, he's kicking my butt. My wife and I go see a counselor once a week going, how do we navigate this? He, he's got baggage from broken relationships and misused authority where he was beaten. We, we are dealing with the after effects of someone who provoked a five-year-old boy to wrath. And trust me, it's not pretty at all. And we're kind of at a point right now where we just throw our hands up in the air week after week. We sit in front of Randy Young in his office over there and we just go, dude, what do we do? If anything, we look forward to the meetings because for one hour we can sit on his couch and just go, Ugh. So I don't know. I text the staff last night. You can ask them. I sent a text out last night. I was like, guys, Please pray for me because it is not easy to give a sermon on parenting when you feel right now like you know absolutely nothing on the subject. 
But the thing is, my job's not to have all the details, step one, step two, step three, step four. I don't, I don't think any of us has gone through parenting unless you're just completely a narcissist. I don't think anyone goes through the parenting experience and comes out the other end going, yep, crushed it. Right? But we can get them to Jesus. And that's ultimately the only thing that they're going to be responsible for. So, so may my kids grow up to love Jesus and know that I love and delight in them. And may they not die under my watch. The rest, go with God. God will take care of that. I want them to make good grades. I create the environment and I do everything I can to nurture them. But the win is not that my daughter makes junior honor society. The win is not that my daughter does this or my son does this. The win is if I as a parent, if we as parents get to sit back and watch our kids worship Jesus and love Jesus and walk with Jesus, not just when they're out on their own, but even letting them have the freedom to be able to do that too. Not restricting them with control like we've got them on one of those. Have any of you guys ever, when you were growing up, did your parents use the leash on you? You know the leash? Oh man, I remember the leash. Ugh. It was so humiliating. It was so humiliating. And plus, when you're 17, you can barely get in that thing. Like, you just, it's tight. You know what I mean? But in the same way, I want grace from God to try to figure this out as I'm working my way through. And I know that half the steps I'm making might be mistakes, but I'm just trying to do the best I can. And because let's just be honest, parents, hey, kids that are here, close your ears. It's kind of a crapshoot, isn't it? Like, really? Aren't we just plug and play from time to time? Well, that one didn't work. Let's try that one. All the books that we buy, all this. Look, the answer to parenting, ultimately big picture, is not more books, it's more Jesus. And we just need to lead our children to Jesus. Fathers, you are ultimately responsible for making sure your children walk with Jesus. If there's a way to preach a parenting sermon on Mother's Day that honors moms, it's moms, way too much responsibility has been on your shoulders for way too long. The responsibility is on that of the father. Make sure your kids love you or know that you love them and just lead them to Jesus. And the way that you do that is by going there yourself and admitting. And that's where I'm at, man. I'm like, Lord. And the, be- the amazing thing is, so I-, I go through this whole relationship. We're watching this. I'm so off outline by now. It's not even funny, but we're about done. But I, I go through this with my, my son and the-, the stuff we're dealing with and problems at school, all these kind of things that we're wrestling through. And I'll get so frustrated. And then it- I just feel like my dad. And that brings guilt because that's the last thing I want to be is a representative of the father that I can't even have relationship with. Now, is that what I want? Is that what I want to lead to? But then I start thinking about my heavenly father instead. And I think, man, all those years that I was faking it growing up, doing the church thing, he never bailed on me. I was like, dude, you're just a faker and I'm over it, you hypocrite. Like he never did that. He was a good father. He was patient with me. He never stopped delighting in me. He never canceled his plans for me. Like, I tried everything to, to run away from him. I was the prodigal son. And, and in so many ways, he never, ever bailed on me. And when I look at my relationship with God, it's not one that's primarily characterized by frustration, though it justifiably could be. It's one characterized by love. And so that's where I go, I gotta remember, now's my chance of, if you will, redemption to be able to model something different for my kid. 
And mothers are great at this by nature because they're nurturers in general. Fathers, not as much. But dads, you will affect their relationship with God more than your, the mom will, I guarantee you. So love your kids. Moms, we're thankful for you. What in the what? Can you imagine the train wreck our kids would be without you? But dads, if you're not already, it's time to step up, to man up, to be a man and to lead our family, not through iron fists of authority, but just as Jesus did with open arms of love, letting our kids know we delight in them, God delights in them, and leading them to Jesus. And the only way we'll be able to do that is by going there ourselves. Amen? So let's stand and pray. <coughs> Lord, give us grace for our failures, for our misunderstandings, our selfishness, our frustrations. And God, give us wisdom, give us strength by your spirit to do what you've called us to do. But more than anything, out of this message, Father, may we come out of here just remembering the truth of the gospel. That while we were wild, rebellious children outside of your family, you had such love for us that you set your authority aside to bring us in, to adopt us, to die for our sins, to bring us into your household, make us joint heirs with your son, and that one day you're coming to get us again to bring us into your house. Father, what an incredible testimony. That's our story. So may that be the story that we lead our children in. I pray, God, that you would give us supernatural patience, Lord, which is a gift of the Spirit. So may your Spirit do that. May we have enlarged hearts for our children and our family, but may all of those things happen because we are just growing and growing in our awe, gratitude, and love for you. So, Lord, part one and the last part of the whole sermon just may we be so focused on you that everyone in our lives benefits from it. So Lord, with all the parents that are here, parents to be, parents that are empty nesters, whatever the case may be, Lord, grant us, Lord, I pray by your grace, more awe of you. A, a greater awareness of your love for us, your patience for us, your goodness. And may that translate, Lord, in the way that we operate with everyone else, whether it be husbands and wives, bosses, workers, co-workers, fathers, and child. I pray, Lord, though you would bless the parents here, Lord, in the situations they're in, whether they be in seasons of joy or seasons of fear and frustration, I pray, God, that your spirit would be upon us, Lord, that you would guide us and lead us in wisdom. And I pray, Lord, that the testimony will be the same for us as it was John, that we would be able to say we've had no greater joy in life. Nothing has brought us more joy in life than watching our children walk with you. And so God, to that end, I pray your blessing on our kids. May they just learn of you and be so taken by you. There's so many things that want to lead them astray. I, I pray God that they would see through Satan's lies and see the beauty and grace that you've offered them, the love that you have for them, the destiny that you have for them. And I pray they would call out to you and follow you all the days of their life. Please bless our kids, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Remember, pastor's coffee in about five minutes. And Wednesday night at 6.30, I'll be teaching on the entire Old Testament, Wednesday night. God bless you guys.